Greetings, this is Bob Ponderelli, co-host with Mike Sherrick of Into the Gap Radio, which airs Saturday afternoons at 1 o'clock Central on 1590 AM and 95.9 FM Chicago. This is the podcast version of our show where you'll get highlights of our most recent episode. Okay, let's get started. Here's my co-host, Mike Sherrick. We've got our, our buddy, our friend, our guest is Rollo Tomasi's with us today. Rollo, how you doing, man? Hey, hey, good, good. How are you guys? Excellent, excellent. We're uh, we had a little pre-show conversation, and the puck's yeah. already dropped, and we're kind of yeah. wound up and ready to go. So, Bob, Warmed there's a up. couple there's a couple of things you wanted to, to get going, in, and we're just going to jump in with Rollo right away. Well, I want to acknowledge <clears throat> first of all that we are in a war, and we're in an intellectual phase of a war. And that uh, went out blowing smoke with Rollo. I mean, Rollo Tomasi wrote this book called The Rational Male. And I highly recommend that Shameless plug. men read Anyone this book. Watching it. And yeah. if women want to find out what their subconscious drives might be, they ought to read the book. Mm-hmm. And uh, I also want to acknowledge some people out there in the, in the you know, social media sphere who are doing yeoman's work to help identify, <clears throat> because I, I see Rollo as just one of several people who are at the forefront of trying to push truth out there and have a public debate on issues that make a huge difference in people's lives. So I also want to acknowledge somebody who uh, may, may not be her, her name, but her, she calls herself Corey Lynn of Corey's Digs, and she's got a fantastic, uh, she is just the epitome of a citizen journalist and I want to call people's attention to her. I would like to shout out to Paul Craig Roberts, who is also pushing truth and debate out there in the public sphere. And that all these people are ultimately subject to being censored by what I believe to be a technocratic system where technology becomes a form of, in a certain sense, dictatorship. And that's what we're up against. And that's that's the battle that we're fighting right now, and I, I just want to say how happy I am to be uh, in a conversation with Rollo and, and Mike Sherrick, my partner. So Yeah, yeah. Rollo, one thing I do want to say is last time you were on, I was uh, actually somewhat shocked by the number of women that reached out to us because oh, of you. Yeah. You know? So yeah. uh, you bring the woman dra- demographic up for into the I, game, I, so. I think I do. Um, what I What's <laughs> funny is, like, they, the guy, the, the most... The most common dissenter, I guess, or the most common yeah. critic I have is not actually men. There's not actually women. It's it's men. Oh yeah, have a have a real tough time. And and again, it's like whenever you use the term like, oh well, thank you for you know having a dedication to truth or you know an obligation to truth. That you know a lot of people have a tough time with that word truth. Yeah. Because they want to think of it in terms of like subjective yeah. like like truth is like your truth is not different from my truth or yeah. you know like that's the oprah version of truth Correct. right it's <laughs> like well we, we we don't you know your truth is different from my no there's an objective definition your truth of is what insane truth is. yeah exactly uh, truth yeah. truth is objective reality you know? yeah and so so when people hear hear well you know rollo he's he's really spitting truth today and it's like well i'm, I'm glad people you know I can see that all I real I don't really think of myself as like sort of a truth spitter so much as like a, a dot connector. Yeah. And then I just go and I articulate the the points that I see connections to. And then I ask questions. And sometimes those questions can really rub people the wrong way yeah, or you the know, right way. One of the things I think that you, the, the real value produces uh, your, uh, you do a really good job for lack of a better word, diagnosing of, of like really identifying the what's so conditioned in the current moment. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, yeah. and that's so important because any journey that begins, you need to know where you're at. You're only lost when you don't know where you're at. 
Mm-hmm. And so I think the truth you provide is the what-so condition as it relates to how men and women uh, relate to one another. And oftentimes, you know, I remember on a motorcycle trip a couple of times, you know, I'm not where I want to be. I'm not happy when I first get that information, right? Mm-hmm. Like, this is not good news. You know, you're mm-hmm. 150 miles away from where you think you are, you know. From where you were, and you thought you were going the right way. And I thought I was going you, the right you way. You thought yeah. you were, yeah, you thought you were on the right path. Yeah. And, and then you find that you have to turn. Yeah, and, and that's tough, too. A lot. That's yeah. that's one of the hard parts because a lot of people get what, well, not what I call, but what psychologists call ego invested in it. Yeah, yeah. And so when you have an ego investment, what that means is it's like, it's like a, a belief or uh, it could be religion. It could be ideology. It could, it could be, politics, be anything. Whatever. Whatever. It yeah, could be any, all of it. about your family yeah. or whatever. Like a very deeply held belief becomes yeah. part of your personality. Yeah. So when somebody shows you something about that belief that is contradictory to what you believed, it's not just an attack on like you, like me trying to be as objective as I can. Right. It's like if I'm talking about intersectional dynamics, if I say something that a person is ego invested in, it means it's part of their personality. So it's not an attack so much on the actual belief as much as it is an attack on the person. Yeah. So if, exactly. if I say that belief is wrong, they think that I'm saying you're wrong yeah. or there's something right. about you that's, that's, you know, improper. I yeah. Guess. Right. They, they can't separate themselves from an idea yeah. that's out ego on the table investment. in front of them. Yep. Yep. They've yeah. invested their ego into that belief so much so that yes. it becomes part of their personality. Yeah. Yep. I, I kind of wonder in a culture, you know, Mike and I use this term, and Mike has brought it up many times, of course, this whole thing of culture of co- comfort and convenience and so forth, and that, that we have a culture. I, I kind of want to use the term from your perspective or what, from what I read from you. It's more like homeostasis, that everybody wants to believe that they're going to get to this homeostasis on, on a constant basis. And that, that, you know, and I think that that pull is there mm-hmm. all the time, you know, to, to, to be comfortable. So, Again, I, I, I may be going off in the weeds for myself, but it's a little just, bit. no, it, that's that's not not yeah. not too far from what I, I like when I talk to guys. Like I I'll I'll do counseling. I don't really consider myself like a life coach or something like that. If mm-hmm. people want to, you know, call me up or they want to, you know, want to have a Skype call with me or they want to email me about something, you know, I'm, I'm I'm good with that. I'll be happy to be a counselor for that guy. But what a lot of these guys do is that you're right. They want to get to a state of contentment. They want right. to yeah. feel like as there if they. Go that oh. they're that they're good where they're at and so like right. and i i would i describe it this way as i don't believe that human beings are meant to be content i believe no, that dude. we are meant <laughs> to be discontent and our sort of our lives are various uh various degrees of dealing with that discontent and there's two, two ways we can do that we can do that creatively yeah. and constructively or we can mm-hmm. do that destructively now that's not the same thing as saying well oh you're you're you know your life is crap and it's, it's always going to be crap and so i got to do is just maximize you know it not being crap that's not what i mean what i mean oh. is like we can like for instance like i can go and get a, a degree at the college or something like that mm-hmm. and i can spend you know four years grinding for that degree and, and really think thinking about, oh man, it's going to be so great. I'm going to finally be content. Once I have this degree, I'll get a great job. My life's going to improve, blah, blah, blah. And then three months after you've got your diploma in your hand, you're like, okay, what do I do now? You know, now, now what's, what's next? So it's like dealing with this constant discontent, but a lot of people deal with discontent uh, like destructively yeah. they find habits that, you know, whether it's drugs drugs or alcohol or or ways of thinking that are destructive. Yeah. Rallo, I love what you're talking about, man, because like the first tenet of Buddhism is that mm-hmm. life is a struggle and it's difficult, right? Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that's happened in our modern culture 
is that we have chosen comfort as an anesthetizer to mm-hmm. engagement in life. And we believe that it's a goal state. Well, exactly. It's right. like, that's exactly. what success is. If you've got the 3,000 square foot house mm-hmm. and you drive the luxury vehicle mm-hmm. and you're making all kinds of dough and you're insulated mm-hmm. and you live in a gated community, mm-hmm. you've won the game. There's mm-hmm. even, do you know that the, the second level of Corvette, the brand new mid, mid-engine Corvette, that the mm-hmm. American sports car, you know they market that to be comfortable? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and that's, I don't know. That's I think insane. that gets back to our, yeah. it's our need to like, say, I, when, when it comes down, like I know Jordan Peterson talks about this all the time. Yeah. It's like, it's very much that Buddhist concept of like, well, life is, life is just crap. And you just have to find ways to mitigate that mm-hmm. crap from being, you know, worse than, than the worst. Right. Yeah. I say, I don't necessarily believe in that. I think that there is such a thing as like, um, you know, there's no such thing as contentment, but there's dealing with discontent. And that's one of yeah. the things that makes human beings a very successful species is exactly. because we're not, con- we could be content for a while. Yeah. Or maybe like, you know, if, if in a religious context, people will say, well, you know, you can only be, you can only find real true contentment with God. Okay, well, fine. But in this life, you're not going to be able to be content for very long. You can deal with, I don't think that human beings can stand or can, can deal with contentment for very long. You'll be we, really we, boring. We find ways to, we find ways to either self-sabotage or yeah. we find another mountain to climb. Yeah. Right. Well, I think that's the whole thing. It's, it's what you're talking about, this, this, this engagement which is at times difficult and a struggle is also at times what helps build our resilience and our, our experience of being alive and making it fun. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And cool. I mean, it, our friend, the commander, oh, the commander. Yeah. Our friend, the commander, this guy, <coughs> this guy's in hand to hand combat 24 seven. Right. Right. And I don't think he's ever content. He's an adrenaline junkie though. Yeah. And, yeah. and it, certain guys, you and, know, and are, I think, you know? it, but it's authentic to him. You know, I think Absolutely. some guys, I think some yeah. guys are adge- adrenaline junkies because they're, uh, you know, they don't know what else to do, but well, it's, I'll yeah. Give you, I'll give you, I'll give you another thing to think about here too, is We're that gonna have to break because we have, because yeah. we have this idea that we can be content or like you were saying, comfortable, yeah. we find ways to sedate ourselves oh, from absolutely. ever trying to do something that's outside of our comfort zone yeah. right as you know we, we talk about that you know you're going to get out of your comfort zone well i think that we find ways yeah. to sedate ourselves whether that's like with pornography Rob, or drugs or alcohol or just simply ways of thinking we got we got to jump right that now. encourage us not to do things we got to take a break right now okay bob pontarelli here and i want to thank you for listening to this podcast we'll have more into the gap episode highlights after a short break Into the Gap is on a quest for bringing self-knowledge right up against the glass of the great display window of life. We're also on a quest for advertisers to support this podcast, our weekly radio show, and our unfiltered podcast. If you'd like to get more information and inquire about rates, please contact me at bob at intothegapmedia.com. This is Bob Pontarelli, and Into the Gap is most pleased to have Chicago Aquaponics sponsoring our show. Chicago Aquaponics provides superior quality hemp seeds, seedlings, and clones to hemp farmers everywhere. What you can count on from Chicago Aquaponics is the finest quality product imaginable and a true relationship that helps farmers succeed in producing an equally high quality product. You can find them at ChicagoAquaponics.com. Join the hemp revolution at Chicago Aquaponics. 
Greetings, this is Bob Ponderoli of Into the Gap, and we're really psyched to have the High PSI company sponsoring our show. High PSI was founded in 1976 and provides the industrial cleaning industry's finest pressure washers and cleaners. High PSI also carries Colson Ice Blast technology, which is a cost-effective and environmentally responsible cleaning system that delivers a super high-quality finish. You can access their services and a competent, dedicated staff through their website at highpsi.com or just give them a call at 800-666-3900. So we're back with Roel Tomasi, author of the book, The Rational Male, and exploring issues. Really, what I kind of see out of all this, given our current milieu, and a lot of the stuff I I just want, I I can't acknowledge you enough, Roel, in the last probably two months, your, your tweets are so dead on and your observations. I really was talking to Mike on the break, like how, how do you work what you do into your day job <laughs> Yeah, is, is yeah. really something because, um, and, and I, and I, and I really, for me, it occurs as just the kind of commitment that we want to see more of, but that we see is also sorely lacking in the culture. It's just like a kind of like, uh, uh, what's the word? Grit, gritty, a gritty commitment to being of service, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. yeah. I, I, you know, it's funny is I don't really think of it as, as work or some kind of dedication. Like when I do stuff, I do it because usually it's the only time I have, I have a moment to do things. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like, mm-hmm. so, um, and I think it's my, my way of working, my, my process. I mean, I've been writing since, I mean, doing what I do anyways, I've been writing since about 2002, mm-hmm. 2001, okay. 2002. And back then I was just participating in the SoSwap forums and some of these early, uh, they were, you know, for lack of a better word, they were pickup artist forums, but they sort of morphed mm-hmm. and evolved into something a little bit bigger and a little bit more, I think, significant than they they started out as. Um, and then, you know, there really wasn't even what was called a manosphere or or uh, the community or whatever back then, or, red, you know, quote unquote, red pill. There was nothing like that back then. It was just guys coming together and sort of comparing notes. And I was, um, you know, I was going to school at the time and uh, I was also working at the time. I, I had, I've always been very, you know, talk about discontent, right? I've always been very, uh, very project oriented. So if I look at something, I'll, I'll, I want to stick with that for a little while. But as I'm working on one thing, I've got other things that are sort of going on at the same time and, mm-hmm. and they kind of vie for my attention. I guess I'm, I'm a natural multitasker in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but the, the good thing is, is that a lot of my interests still have a lot of crossover. So if I'm working, I, as you guys know, I've worked in the wine and spirits industry for a while. So if I'm out in the field, you know, people say, well, you know, Rolla, you're, you're married. How do you, you know, how do you reconcile that with what it is that you write about? Well, it's like, I'm out there seeing this happen. I'm sort of a student of human behavior and that gives me ideas. And so I keep like, right now I'm looking at my desk here and I, I keep about eight different notebooks for different things that I'm working on at one time. My next book is going to be um, about red pill and religion. And so mm-hmm. at least two of these right now are, are dedicated to just that topic. But um, I, you know, I just, I don't know. I just, I think about stuff. I have to, I had to start keeping notebooks because I was tired of having my ideas sort of slip out of my head. And then I go, what was I talking about before? Welcome and to aging. Are, yeah. Are, they, yeah, are, are, yeah, are these yeah. physical notebooks, Rollo? 
Yeah, mm. yeah. The physical it's like you. separate. Yeah, I mean, I got mine right here. You know, I I think that's a good habit to get into. People always say, "Well, you need to start journaling." And I was like, I don't really think <coughs> it is journaling so much as I have an idea and I'm just going to explore that idea, and it might end up as a yeah, it might end up as a a blog post, or it yeah, might right. end up in a book, or it might just stay in the you know, notebook and never see the light of day. But right. uh, I think it's important to, to organize our thoughts because yeah. today we have so much vying for our attention. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether that's online or it's media or family or work or whatever else. So we have so much going on. It's easy to lose like really good, like profound, significant thoughts. Without uh, being a, a neuroscience geek, mm-hmm. the act of actually stopping and writing down your thought is another yes. way to reinforce it. So it's just, yeah. just a little I like coming back to like yeah. when I, when I'm, when I, I usually put out a, I, I try to anyways, I put out a, a, a blog post per week. And sometimes I'll sit down and it'll be like a Thursday and I'll be like, what am I going to write about? And then, so I'll go back through my, my notebook. Sometimes I know exactly what I'm going to do. And those are like, I'm, I Mm -hmm. just go straight ahead and go right into them because Mm -hmm. that's like sort of the topic du jour on my head. Mm -hmm. But then sometimes I'll go, well, I was, I want to reconsider that. Like my my most recent post that's on the rationalmail.com is about respect. And I've written about respect way back in the day, like back in 2012. And Mm -hmm. I wanted to come back to that because I was having some new ideas about respect and how men and women uh, approach respect from different concepts in the same way that I feel that men and women uh, approach love from different concepts. And then there's other sort of like really high order thinking, I guess, where men and women, we presume that we have a common definition of what it is we're talking about, like love, respect, Mm -hmm. those kinds of things. But in, in actuality, women have a different understanding of respect than men have because men is more like merit-based, whereas women is just sort of always on. When we talk about how, and this is what led me to this is that men must become and women just are. And so that's sort of colors how we get to love. That's how we colors we how how we get to respect in different contexts. And it's not that we can't love each other or anything like that. It's just that we come to it by different roots, by different understandings. So so say something about this issue of respect regarding, say, for example, fidelity, because some of the so many of the stories and so many of the real life situations that I hear about are where a guy is basically going to have clandestine sex with some woman who's, and he'll be talking to her. Oh yeah, I'm engaged. And, but mm-hmm. you know, my boyfriend really doesn't know how to please me. So I just do this and it's okay. How do you, mm-hmm. speaking of rational, how do, how do you sure. rationalize stuff like that? And, well, and how, what does that say in, about respect? The way that I look, okay. So the way that I look at infidelity, just to sort of like put it, put this into context is when it comes to men and infidelity, there has to be two elements. There has to be a reason and there has to be an opportunity. So as it is right now, a lot of guys who are like in sexless marriages, they have a, um, they have a reason. They're like, man, I'm not getting it at home. I, I got to, I, you know, that's why like, right. so many people are into porn and stuff like that. They've yeah. got to find a way. They've got to find an outlet because they're not having that sexual need met by their by their partner. Right. So the 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 reason is there, but the opportunity is almost never there for most guys. Whereas mm-hmm. for uh, so so if you can if you can match those those two things up, where the guy is actually you know good looking enough or or uh, <gasps> impressive enough to to a woman where he can actually engage in that, mm-hmm. having that opportunity with somebody who's available. And then, you know, have coming to the point where you're ready to take that risk of all the stuff that you have with your your partner 
to meet one need that there's, you have to understand there's a lot that goes into guys um, and women becoming, you know, uh, involved in affairs and things like that as well. For women, it's, it's kind of like the same thing too, but I think really what women, when they, when they come to infidelity, it's usually because they don't feel that they've optimized hypergamy uh, like adequately for their lives. Mm. So when women come to, uh, infidelity, it's usually because their, their hypergamous question is this, or the doubt is this is, is he the best I can do? And if that answer is no, they will look for, uh, the answer to be yes from outside the marriage or outside the relationship. So they're, you're coming to that in two different ways. So when we, when we bring respect into all of this, um, a lot of guys would say, well, I would never, I would, I have too much respect for my, my partner. I would never do that. Or I have too much respect for myself, or I have too much respect for, um, you know, my commitments and things, you know, of those natures. And usually when, when men are, are addressing respect, issues of respect, it is because they feel they have an equity in that respect, or they have, a um, they have a a, a a burden of performance for sure, but also that that merit that meriting of respect that integrity is something that is performance based. It's 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 I did all of these great things and that's why I am respectable. Whereas for women, respect is just something that is always always on. It's women should be respected just because they're women, and we do that. Excuse me, because most men. Uh, have evolved to have a protector instinct. So we hold women, you know, we talk about putting women on a pedestal or something like that. Um, when, when we pedestalize women or we pedestalize womankind, that's a form of respect, but it's a default respect. That woman didn't have to earn that to be where she is. And for a woman to lose respect is very difficult these, these days because most women will say, well, I'm, I'm a woman and you don't respect oh. women. And then that, that ends up being the litmus test of doing what I say because you're supposed to respect me. So those are like kind of two different angles that guys come to when yeah. they're, they're dealing with me, Meaning respect me regardless of my behavior. Because, well, yeah. Regardless, yeah, unearned, unmerited, I'll give you just an, a default I'll give you an, respect. An example, last night I went to the pizza place, right? And it's it's one of those places with the 46 feet. you go to Benny's? No, no, oh. no. I went to the place by my house. <laughs> All right. 46 so anyway, I go, there's, there's a 40, you know, the 46 feet, 24 feet for the car, 22 feet feet for the lane right? okay uh-huh. so this woman's in a in a in an, a, <coughs> an f pace jaguar parked right in front of the door in the drive lane right all right and i come by and i give her this face and she she literally gets so i park my truck like down the road and she comes you giving a face is so you but go on yeah so so i'm walking back and she gets out of her car and she's like five foot tall and 100 pounds and she's she's like gonna man up with me right and she goes what's your problem and I'm like, what's my problem is you're parked in a no parking zone when there's three open spaces there. You're interfering with their business and you're interfering with other people get a parking place. Yeah. And, I'm, and, I, and I dropped an F-bomb and I go like, what's your problem? And she goes, who talks to women like that? And it's yeah. exactly what you're talking about. Ding, right. ding, Here ding. she was completely operating in an abhorrent way, <sighs> an antisocial way. And you stand there and, you, and listen, I wasn't going to say anything to her, but she gets out of her car. And she's going to muscle up on me. I said, girlfriend, come on. You know, because that's a context. There's, exactly. There is a presumption of a default respect for women. Exactly. And when even when women are in the wrong, they can default back to that. They can fall back on Ex- that. You don't respect women. And that's so what, therefore this this conversation or anything you have to say. That's what she's null and void because yeah. you don't respect women. That's why I, like what like you were saying before is is, you know, when when a lot of people give me like criticism or they, yeah. they're, they're my detractors will always say, well, you don't respect women or you're a misogynist because you don't respect women. And right. I'm like, well, I'm approaching respect from a male perspective. Yeah. 
So when I look at, when I look at it this way, I say, well, what do you do? That's respectable. Like for you guys, if I, if like for my impression of you guys, whatever your integrity is, whatever your respectability is like, what makes a man respectable yeah. are the things that he does. Like what, you know, how he acts, what, right. he, you know, what his history is, his, basically his body of work yeah. in, in his lifetime. Right. Is that respectable or is that not respectable? Where, and women will do the same thing too. They'll say, well, is this guy a guy I can respect? Is this guy a guy I can, I can, uh, admire sort yeah. of and i got into a, a really interesting conversation with my good friend uh, andrew tate and we were talking about women and everything and and one woman who was Rollo, we're uh, gonna stop in, the, in 30 seconds oh, okay okay, okay. Well, yeah. one woman in the yeah. comments said well m- uh, women only want to have sex with guys that they respect and i go yes but they come to that respect in a different way yeah. that men come to respect themselves and women yeah we, we, mike and i were talking a little bit and we, we were just discussing this what do you what Based on your work, <clears throat> what do you see where you have guys that you see now in their 20s? They're very unphysically fit. They have like neck beards. They're <laughs> they're somewhat feminized. I mean, I, I, in, man boobs. I don't, they've got man boobs. They got whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Mike and I were at a business breakfast yesterday and yesterday morning and these, these two guys came in and honest to God, there was just the body language. Everything was so submissive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was so yeah. submissive and not vital or not. <clears throat> what's the word I'm looking for? I said, I used the word stout. Yeah. There was no stoutness there. There was no. Yeah. And I'm so curious to know how, you know, given the fact that you're, again, you're cultural, cultural observer, you're, you're mm-hmm. documenting this gender war, you're documenting so many of these things that seem to be going in a direction where, you know, last week I came up with this uh, joke uh, gag uh, or two weeks ago now uh, There's a fake sponsor for the show was the Institute <laughs> for Global Enslavement, you know, and we want to welcome the Institute for Global Enslavement to the show. And here's what they stand for. It's, and it's almost like these people, these guys we saw yesterday are like, emblems for this or something what can you share what your observations are on this i think that really since the sexual revolution we've had this progressive effeminate feminization i guess of Mm -hmm. of men and masculinity Mm um as almost a form of social engineering really thank you um because we have gone from um well, I mean, look at look at what we gave women when we gave them hormonal birth control. We gave them not just hormonal birth control, but we also gave them sort of this tacit agreement that, um, you know, now we don't have to, now now men and women can have sex without having to worry. This is theoretically have mm-hmm. sex without having to worry about about getting pregnant. But ladies, it's all on you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all about um, you know. We're going to give you complete control over the reproductive process of the human race right now because it's mm-hmm. all in your hands. You have to take this one pill and then that will make everything okay. Mm-hmm. But along with that, I don't think we really realized the, uh, the social impetus that was behind allowing women to, to give them that, that kind of power. Yep. Um, we all, we had, of course, the, the feminist movement that was going on at that time, like in the late sixties and seventies, but it, it had happened. It started well before that with the suffragettes and everything, but it came into its own right after the sexual revolution. And let me just interject Rollo that the reason I brought up Corey Lynn is that she's doing mm-hmm. yeoman's work in this whole area of exposing the industry of planned parenthood mm-hmm. linked with the pharmaceutical industry 
mm-hmm. that is pumping all this hormonal stuff out there and the transgenderism and all this mm-hmm. happening all simultaneously in this one right. giant blob. Well, and then, you know? and, th- and that's, you know, it's funny is like, that is one aspect of this. And I, I, people will say, well, where is this coming? You know, they think it's just like tinfoil hat stuff. Like they mm-hmm. think that this is like, Oh, is it this, the Illuminati we're all coming together. It's like, no, it's, I think really what it is, is a confluence of, like sort of changes that have happened in the wake of the sexual revolution, in the wake of hormonal birth control, in the wake of giving women unilateral control over the human reproductive process. And I don't think that like we we wouldn't dare tell a woman to be more in control of her sexuality because that would seem like men being patriarchal and misogynist right. and, and and saying, look, there there are some bad things that go along with this if you don't you you don't keep in mind that there's some bad things that go along with hypergamy, but people don't, you know, they, they don't realize that. And so we see things like abortion, like you're talking about, or we see uh, child support laws. We, we've shifted from a marriage-based model of raising children to a child support-based model of yep. raising children mm, as a result of the sexual revolution of those changes. Mm-hmm. I did a, a show uh, just to, a day ago with uh, Pat Campbell about um, Polly. The, the rise of polyamory. Why is that a new thing? Why is that something that's becoming more and more popularized um, just even in the last like year and a half? Right. Well, because we've shifted away from monogamy as the norm and we got to find alternatives to that. So here's an alternative and here's, here's some other things that go with that. So as a result of all of these changes, just getting back to your in- initial point there, is that why are why are so many guys uh, effeminate? Why are so many guys so passive? Why are so many guys just sort of you know we we get upset when men like manspread, right? Why is that even a thing? You right? Know, why why do we or or mansplaining? We haven't have these cutesy little terms that go along with that. Mm-hmm. Well, because for the last three generations, maybe four generations of guys, mm-hmm. we've told men to man down and mm-hmm. to, to women to man up. And so when we get to a point where we have to put the sexes together and we have to live, you know, we, we would like to believe that that egalitarianism is in some way desirable as if that's going to make for a better union between men and women rather than the natural complementary or, you know, order evolved order of it. When we do that, what do guys do? Well, they, they naturally want to be more submissive. They naturally want to say, well, I need to be more vulnerable. They're, they're taught that all the time. You know, vulnerability yeah, more is sensitive. strength. Is strength uh, to be more like a woman is to be more attractive, like to identify with the feminine. So we say, uh, you know, you need to get in touch with your feminine side. We presume that there even is a feminine side. Yeah. Okay, this is Jungian right. psychology, but we presume that that men must have a, a feminine side. And if so, then the reason why they're less perfect than women is they can't get in touch with that feminine side, or they are they have a difficult time doing that because oh. if they were more like women, if they could transition from male to female, that's why we see oh, like wrong. little boys as old as three years old. We say, oh well, I guess you were born the wrong sex so now yeah. we're going to give you hormone blockers and all this other stuff because right. it's more advantageous for you to be a girl than it is to be a guy right. now take that out of the realm of being a child and then make these adults and you get those guys that you saw at the you know the, the overweight man boobs guys at the the convention you're at well, the, well, the, well you know the one thing it, one there, there's this woman online and she's she's a coach for men to help oh. men. Develop. Well, there's several of them. I know. Yeah. I, I probably know who you're talking about. Yeah. But I, I know several of them. That's the grift. Yeah. yeah. And yeah it's exactly. easy to do. 
So, mm-hmm. and, and what the, what she <laughs> does word. is she just <clears throat> indoctrinates these men into becoming these lady boys or something. And mm-hmm. and you and and I she reached out to me after my TED thing, right? And she wanted to get in touch because you know what I talked about, Rob, was just about men being responsible for the for the breakdown and the abdication of masculinity. And so she said, "We got to work together because you you get it, you know." And then she starts mm-hmm. telling me what she's doing. And it's all BS, and she's got all these guys that are all, like, bowing to her like she's some goddess mm-hmm. that have completely played the role of beta. And I'm like, this, this dog don't hunt, guys. This is mm-hmm. nonsense. And then yeah. she's <laughs> like, well, you're, you're not in touch with your feminine side, Mike. You're not I, – I don't know. I love what you said. I don't think I got a feminine side. I, I don't mm-hmm. know where it's at. You know, no, and, and that's and that's a and that's an interesting presumption, because when yeah. we talk about those things, that's I, I, I am not a big fan of psychologist Carl Jung and all anybody who's read my stuff understands. Right. Why yeah, yeah. I'm not. I won't go right. into that. Right. Because yeah. I'm scathing but, um, words I, for him. Yeah. Well, I think it's time we move past all of that crap. Because well, I like the darkness, we have like, like coming because we can complete, we can yeah. now map. We have more information today yeah. in 2019 and going into 2020 in uh, when when it comes to mapping the human genome, understanding uh, brain architecture and you know neuro neuroscience. Yeah. We have more understanding of sociology, anthropology, and all of these other fields that mm-hmm. back when. Carl Jung and all this other stuff, which we've standardized upon, mm. was being was sort of in its 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 larval stage, you know, becoming developed to what it is. Mm-hmm. We've standardized on a way of thinking about men and women that was established back in like nineteen in the thirties, right? right? Yeah. And and so we have more information now, and it's time we move past this yeah. idea of a blank slate or this idea of egalitarian equalism or this idea that uh, you know men and women are just the same, and all the things is different as a plumbing or yeah. a what's a, what's called a um, uh, social constructionism right yeah. we we want to yeah, say well you know gender is a social construct no, <laughs> no it's, it's not. not there's a lot of biological elements that go into making a person male or female but we want to throw that out the window because it serves ideology but, but, and that's why i say it's time to move past from but June. let's keep in mind <clears throat> that at least in recorded history rollo we've never had the technology to actually challenge the natural order of things. Mm-hmm. That is true. And now we do. So it's not surprising to me, the uh, you know perennial conspiracy theorist, <laughs> that we actually, oh, oh, it's just a coincidence that right around the time we're pumping all this BS into the culture, we actually have a rising up of the technology to actually back up the insane social constructionism that we're proposing mm-hmm. because we're just a few we're just a few steps away from being able to back up that social constructionism with an actual scientific kind of thing where yeah sure we can give you can make you can make you into a unicorn if you want you know right I mean, well, well yeah it's funny you should say that. i i i've been uh, this is one of my side issues right now is uh in china and you've probably heard this they have um they've created gen gene edited babies now. yeah yeah. So yeah. You, we're, we're getting to the point where we know how to, uh, you know, edit our, our, our the helix, right? The, the genetic helix so that we can have, if you want to have a, a, a blue, blue eyed baby, blonde haired baby, we can do that. You can have a designer baby. And so what I got into is this and said, well, so if there's a gay gene, can we edit that out because that is abnormal or should we just leave that in? And people lose their oh, minds yeah. when you, when you, <laughs> well, you present that as a question, yeah. because do, do we see, uh, let's presume, I, I don't believe in a, a genetic route for homosexuality. I think it's far more behavioral than, than it is anything else. But let's just say for sake of argument that there is a gay gene. Yeah. Should we edit it out? 
should we or uh the other one was uh down syndrome we can actually ensure right now that there will never be another down syndrome baby should we do that is that something and that's based on ideology that's based our ideology is getting to the point now where we will be able to use that ideology to direct our evolution that's right and just as a little aside just two days ago you didn't i didn't tell you this mike yeah a, the Chinese are saying, yeah, we, we're now hybridizing pig and monkey. Pig-monkey hybrid. Yeah. A pig-monkey yeah, we hybrid. we can do things like that. We can, yeah, do, Island of Dr. Moreau, right? Absolutely. I mean, we can, you, absolutely. Yeah. You know, Ronald, what I want to talk to, we're going to have to take a break in a couple seconds, but mm-hmm. what I want to really get into is, the like, behind here, I think there's a bigger question. It's, it's one of ethics. That's right. And, and mm-hmm. every time there's a breakthrough in technology, either... Uh, be it like electronic technology or shifts in social construct, mm-hmm. which is a shift in technology. With every shift in technology, there's an ethical issue that follows behind it because mm-hmm. there's an impact that's un- unforeseen. So let's let's right. talk about that when we get back. You're listening to Into the Gap, the podcast, where we bring you highlights of our weekly radio show, which airs Saturdays at 1 o'clock Central Time on WCGO AM and FM, Evanston, Chicago. If you'd like to get in touch with questions, comments, or to inquire about sponsorship opportunities, please email me at bob at intothegapmedia.com. Let's go back to the show now. Here's my partner, Mike Sherrick. We were, uh, what we were talking about, we were talking about, you were going to say something, right? No? No, you brought okay. up something at the end that you wanted to address when we came back. Yeah. I, Rollo probably may remember, maybe I just, not. It just slipped out of my mind. Yeah. We were, oh, we were talking about ethics. Oh, that's mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. We were talking about ethics. and. One of the things I'm seeing is all this this breakthrough in technology, and it is especially like in the area of transgenderism or male feminism or all of this stuff, there's this absence of questioning and absence of looking at the impact of it. And that's really what ethics is about, is looking at the impact of changes in society, culture, or technology, right? Mm-hmm. And I and I, I would love to get your ta- take on that. It's like, where does ethics yeah. fit into this thing? Well, I, you know, I'm, I'm, of the, I'm of this opinion is that um, <clears throat> we should be amoral in our observations, but we should use ethics in our actions mm-hmm. according Today's tweet. to what those observations are. Yeah, you like that tweet? Yeah, I loved it. Did uh, that so awesome. I, uh, you know, that's another one that I did. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I think that we're, we're fast approaching, and this is a little bit above my pay grade here, but I think we're, we're uh, fast approaching a time where our ideologies mm-hmm. are going to directly affect our our biologies, our evolution, yeah. um, where we're going to go as a human species. And we kind of are, like I was just saying before, we kind of already have seen that with uh, hormonal birth control back in yeah. the 60s. And we handed that control over to women uh, like unilaterally. Right now, uh, you know, once you... Once hey, Rollo, let's, spur- let's just be straight about why we did that. It was to get yeah, laid. We, it was we, to we get laid. laid. Yeah, yeah, we wanted to get laid. Sh- it was that simple. And we adapted to it. Yeah. And, and so, and so what we, what we essentially told women was like, okay, guess what ladies you were, you know, Hey, we can finally have sex with you. You're in control of it. Yeah. You get to say who gets, who has sex and who doesn't, you get to say who gets to reproduce and who doesn't. Yep. And once the sperm leaves the man's body, it is 100% in control of women. At that Adios. Point. Your yep. son, if your, your genetic legacy gets aborted in utero, that's her decision. Yeah. If it gets born and you are on the hook for 18 years for whatever reason, or even if you are not the actual biological father, but it's in the best interest of the child that you pay for 
this kid that's not yeah. yours, guess what? You're still on the hook for that because our society has changed to a gynocentric one where that's going to be the case. You're going to be the one that's going to be on the hook for that because, you know, we believe in the children. And of course, by saying, you know, what's in the best interest of the children is also what's in the best interest of the mother. All of these things came in the wake of yeah. one technological advancement, which was hormonal birth control and us saying, okay, well, it's only going to work for women. I think what we might see a little bit of a change when we get to a point where we can uh, do birth control for men where it's 100% in control of men and then you might see the the tables balance themselves out a little bit more but I don't think it's going to have that great an effect on whether a guy is alpha or a guy is beta because you're going to find more guys who are going to be willing to uh, father children yeah. who are betas whereas the alpha guys are like no I'm fixed I don't have to do that you know we can go have sex and that that'll be that Rollo, you know the, I think you might see it change up a little bit the thing you bring up though that that I think was the unintended consequences of this <coughs> has been the impact on fatherhood, uh -huh. you know, and the, the absence of fatherhood and the reduction of fatherhood and, and, and having fathers put in a position of visitation versus actually parenting, you yeah. know, but and I think fathers, fathers are superfluous now. Yeah. They're, and uh, that, that is a dangerous cultural phenomenon. No, they're nice to have around, but they're not, they're not necessary. And if you don't believe me, you can look at the difference between how we celebrate Mother's Day and how we celebrate Father's oh, Day. Absolutely. It would say, say a little bit about that, by the way. What, yeah. Oh, on Mother's Day, it's, it's we want to celebrate mothers. Uh, I should, you know, let, let's look at a few statistics here. 42% of children in the United States are born out of wedlock today. Mm -hmm. Women can electively have become single mothers. Mm -hmm. Women, what was it? Uh, some of these like bigger companies, like I know Facebook does this, but they offer uh, like middle management women as part of their benefits package, you can freeze your eggs so that you can, you know, focus on your career is of course the, the, mm -hmm. the premise behind it, but mm -hmm. you can freeze your eggs. And then later on, maybe when you get to be 38 or 39, or you're getting to the point where, you know, maybe you won't be able to viably conceive, well, don't worry about it because you've got eggs here that are going to be okay. So we find ways to facilitate, mm -hmm. um, this feminine primary idea of who gets to decide what the reproduction is and who doesn't. Well, all once again, all of that came in the wake of a technology where we didn't think about those things. We weren't mm -hmm. thinking about how it was. We just thought it was awesome. Hey, we can finally get laid. And we don't yeah, have to we, worry about exactly. Babies. It's all like right. it's a frat house. I can get laid and all like you know. And it what it did it reduced men to nothing more than seminal suppliers and it, child support. Yeah, and it reduced fatherhood. To nothing more than a biological servicing experience, right? Mm -hmm. and, and that's where we're that's where we're at right now, really. Yeah. Like I was saying before, we and moved away from a marriage-based model of raising children to a child support-based model. So it's who's going to support this kid? And yeah. what when we ask fathers to do that, we ask them to be uh, to set aside their their interest, their evolved interest in paternity, yeah. and to help them essentially fulfill the mating strategy and really the life strategy of a woman who's made the determination to have kids on her own, however she decided to do that. But yet you're the one who's expected to be, to man up and be the guy who's yeah. going to, you know, assume the responsibilities of some other man's, you know, genetic legacy. And, you know, and the thing too, though, Rollo, I mean, if you think about this, how many kids are actually raised with very little male influence in their life, right? And then yeah, those so, guys you were talking about at that convention. Yeah. And so when we're, we're sitting around and we see these, you know, 20 something, early 30 something guys that are highly feminized. It, it's pretty, it, it's about a two foot putt to handle this. Why it happened that way. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. And so, and, the, and yeah. we're going to see, we're going to see a lot 
I think as we can, as technology becomes a little bit greater, when we can finally edit, gene edit kids, and that becomes the norm, and we kind of push past this idea of it's it's in unethical to do those things. It's unethical to create a world where Down syndrome people don't exist, or maybe it's it's unethical to create a a whole world. It's like Gattaca. Do you ever see the movie Gattaca? Oh like, yeah. Where we can like we can we can just gene edit out all of these horrible things and right. with it comes some really good stuff maybe we can gene edit out some way so that people don't have alzheimer's mm-hmm. anymore that would be yeah. awesome yeah. Right? right but then, then how do we say see, well that, guess what you there won't be any more down syndrome babies and there won't be any more homicide and that gets into the ethical dilemma and then who makes those choices and then when you get put people like elizabeth warren right. in charge right Right. Are you going to be comfortable with the choices she's making mm-hmm. or her group's making or the or or that right. mindset's making? Right. right. And here's the kicker. Here's the kicker. Yeah. Right now yeah. is when we're deciding that. Exactly. Right I know, man. Minute exactly. Is where we're deciding that. And what, that's what why, we're going to do when the technology gets here. Dude, that's why this show is so important. That's why you having you on is so important, man, is to bring mm-hmm. this up. I, I you know, we're getting near the end. Raul, again, it's it's been just a joy to have you on. It feels like you were on for five minutes, not 55 minutes. And mm-hmm. uh, it's always cool to be with you, man. Yeah, is, I, I enjoy are, it. I'll be, I'll be back on again, of course. Is there anything you want to uh, plug, push, or sell in the last couple seconds? Uh, just uh, just head to uh, Amazon.com, and you can pick up The Rational Mail. And I actually have uh, three books, uh, The mm-hmm. Rational Mail series. Um, yeah. I have the regular one you've got right there, yep. which is the, the main book, which the I suggest book. everybody starts the Bible. with. Everyone's... St- Yep. And then I have preventive medicine, which is a timeline for what guys can expect from women in the sexual marketplace at different phases of women's maturity. So I go all the way from 15 years old, all the way up to 50 years old for women. And then also uh, I have my third book, which is positive masculinity, which is it it deals with actually a lot of the stuff that you and I have been talking, we've been talking about here, which is positive masculinity, social issues. All right, kids. Thank you, Rallo. We're out of here. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thanks, everybody. Please allow us to thank you for listening to this show, as we are only too aware that your support makes it possible. 